to the Bible Teachers, featuring sermons from around Australia. And here is today's presenter, Colin Hone. Let me just pray. Father in heaven, baptize me with the Holy Spirit. May the words I speak be not my words, but your words from your word. And I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 11, verse 1 to 14. And the story is, as Jesus is speaking, he's just finished teaching the disciples And he's telling them he's going to go away. Verse 1, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? Isn't that amazing? After John the Baptist had just said, This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. After John the Baptist has seen the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus, confirming him as the Messiah, he's in jail and he has doubts. Do you have doubts sometimes? You're not alone. But look at the way that Jesus handles it. Jesus answered and said to him, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say. So they went away. And then Jesus says these things to him concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments. Indeed, those who wear soft clothes are in the king's house. He was dressed differently to the priests and everyone else. But what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Surely I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God has suffered violence and violence taken it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to receive it, he is who? He is Elijah who is to come. Jesus is actually talking about a prophecy in Malachi chapter 4. And Jesus just confirms that John the Baptist is the Elijah promised in Malachi chapter 4. This is the last verse in the Bible There is a prophecy of Malachi saying, before the Messiah comes, before the Messiah comes, a messenger will come, Elijah will come with a message to his people. And so we go on to Luke chapter 1, verses 10 to 7. Luke chapter 1, verse 10 to 7. And and an angel confirms that John the Baptist is the Elijah to come. He says, the whole motive of the people were praying. What were they doing? They were praying. At the hour of incense, then an angel of the Lord appeared to them standing on the right side of the altar of the incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And now listen to this. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. So the Elijah would not be drinking. He would dress differently. He would be plainly dressed. He will also be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit 
even from his mother's womb. And he will turn the many of children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he also gave before him the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient of the wisdom of the just to make ready what? To make ready a people of the Lord. What an amazing prophecy. And interesting, Jesus confirms this and it's a prophetic message. Did you know that John the Baptist started his ministry right on time in the 70 weeks prophecy? The Elijah message started according to Daniel's prophecy, the 70 weeks announcing the Messiah or the first coming of Jesus. It was in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, exactly in 27 AD, just in the year that Jesus was baptized, exactly according to the prophecy in Daniel. Interesting, it is a prophetic message from the book of Daniel. And in Malachi chapter 4, verse 4 to 6, I want to unpack this a little bit tonight because this has meaning for us living today in the last days. Now, the first thing is, it says, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I command in horror in all of Israel with the statutes and judgments. What is the message about? It's a call to what? Worship and keep the commandments of God. I want you to notice, if you notice, there's another message that's very, very similar to this message. And then he goes on and says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, a messenger, before the coming of the great day of the Lord. So there is a message to go out before Jesus, the Messiah, is announced. But it has a second application because it says, Before the dreadful day of the Lord. This is the second coming of Jesus, that a message will go out to announce the second coming of Jesus. So here's a message, a call to worship God. Interesting, does it start off, remember the Lord. I wonder what law has the words remember in it. What part of the Ten Commandments has the words remember? Interesting, isn't it? And then he says, I'll send a message out, a messenger called Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So it's an announcement of the second coming of Jesus, the second advent. So there's the seventh day in there and there's advent in there. Okay, let's keep going on. And he will turn, what's that mean? It'll be a call to repentance. Didn't John the Baptist say what? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. So it's a message of reconciliation. Reconciling children to the heavenly father and reconciling children, their fathers to each other. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. It's a judgment message. Sounds like fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. And so when we look at the Elijah message and we unpack it, the first thing you know about the Elijah message is he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elijah was filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. The early disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. And do you think the last day Elijah message, God's people will be filled with the Holy Spirit? It was a call to repentance. John the Baptist said what? Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. What was Jesus' first words? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What about Peter on the day of Pentecost? What was his message? Repent, you 
talking to Israel, crucified the Messiah. And what happened? It says they were cut to the heart, they were cut to the heart, and they cried out and said, what do we do? Well, did they put Jesus on the cross? It was the Romans that actually put him on the cross. But when you think about it, who put Jesus on the cross? They did, and you and me did. When we realize that we put Jesus on the cross, we too will be cut to the heart and cry out, what shall I do? And Peter says the same words to us today. As Jesus said, and John the Baptist, repent, be baptized, and you too shall receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. So it's a call to repentance. It's a judgment message in Malachi. Is there a judgment message in the last days? Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. Are you noticing a a connection here? It's a message of reconciliation. You know, that God's put it on my heart that we need to pray and work to bring those who have left the church back. There are thousands of them out there. If you really think about it worldwide, there's, who knows, who can put their hand up here and say they know one person, all right, that has left the church, a family, a friend, how many people? Nearly everybody has a family or friend who have left Jesus in the church. And God wants to bring them back. Just like John the Baptist's message was to what? To reconnect or reconcile Israel with the Father, we are to reconcile spiritual Israel, the lost sheep of Israel, back with their heavenly Father. And there's thousands of them there. And we need to pray and work to bring them back. It was a message to prepare people for the coming of the Messiah. Wasn't John the Baptist's message to prepare people for Jesus' first advent? What is our message? Isn't the message of the three angels' message to prepare a people for the second coming of Jesus? That is our message. It's a call to worship, true worship and keep the commandments of God. It's also a prophetic message. John the Baptist, as the Elijah message, started preaching in the 15th year of Tiberius. Do you know what year that was? 27 AD, exactly on time of the 70 weeks prophecy. It was part of the prophecy of Daniel. And what is the 70 weeks prophecy part of? The 2300 days or year prophecy. And so when did the announcement of the second coming, the Elijah message start? In 1844, exactly on time, part of the prophetic message. So I want to talk about tonight though, what is Jesus' last work? What is the last work that Jesus wants to do? And so when we look at that, I want you to turn your Bibles or you can look at the screen. In Revelation chapter 10 verse 7, Jesus speaking through John The Holy Spirit speaking through John says these words. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he's about to sound, the seventh angel is just before the the plagues are going to be turned turned on this earth, just before Jesus comes. It says the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. So what is this mystery that God is going to reveal? Well, you can look at it in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 to 29. The mystery of God is Christ in you. It's our only hope of glory. Christ in you. And how do we have Christ in us? How do we have Christ in us? Well, when we look in the Bible, the Bible tells us 
in um, John chapter 14, verse 12, where Jesus makes this incredible promise. Have you ever thought about this words that Jesus said? Jesus says, most surely I say to you, this is in John 14, verse 12 to 14. Most surely I say to you, he who believes in me, who believes in Jesus? Everyone believes in Jesus. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Have you ever thought about that? The same works as Jesus did. Because I go to the Father and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be what? Glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And so how does this happen? How can we do the same works as Jesus? There's only one way. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is Christ in you. Our only hope of glory. And John chapter 14, it goes on to tell you, Jesus says, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments and I'll pray the Father and he'll give you another helper or comforter that he may bide you for what? Is the Holy Spirit going to be with us after the close of probation, the time of trouble? He's going to be with us all the way. Whom the spirit of the truth, whom the world cannot receive. This part of the Holy Spirit is not for the unbeliever. This is for the believer. There is a work of the Holy Spirit that is for everyone. In John chapter 16, it says that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Is that for everyone? Yeah, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and leads us to Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit always leads us to, Jesus and Him crucified. But the Holy Spirit, there's a second work of the Holy Spirit There's only for the believer. Because it says the world cannot receive it, doesn't it, in God's Word? It says, because he neither sees Him or knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells what? With you and will be in you. He's talking about Pentecost. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And if you read the rest of the chapter in John chapter 14, Jesus says, not only will I give you the Holy Spirit, but I and the Father will come and dwell in you. Have you want to think about that? The creator of the universe who created all the stars that you look out there, in our galaxy alone there's like 100, 200 billion stars and all the planets that go around them. And the God that created all them And there's 200 probably plus million, or they said billion galaxies out there. And the God that created all them wants to dwell in you and dwell in me. Hence the cleansing of the sanctuary. You see in the Old Testament, when the sanctuary before, what happened? It had to be cleansed. And once the sanctuary was cleansed of sin or removal or blotted out of sin, then the God's kind of glory would dwell in the most holy place. So the sins were removed for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's really simple. Christ in, sin out. I'll say it again. Christ in, sin out. That's really it. That's why Jesus wants to dwell in us. But he has to cleanse us through the blood of Jesus before he can dwell in us. He needs to cleanse us. So how do we do the same works as Jesus? Well, Jesus promises another helper. And the disciples recognize something about Jesus. Jesus was always in prayer. You read in the Bible, he always in the morning, he went in the mountains to pray. And the disciples noticed that he was praying always. And they came to him 
and as he was praying in a certain place. And when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, and this is Luke chapter 11, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Was John a prayer warrior? And did he teach his disciples to pray? And they're saying, teach us to pray, Jesus. How do you do all this stuff? And Jesus then tells them the Our Father, and he gives them the Lord's Prayer. But then he does something amazing. He tells a parable about a friend that comes to midnight. And he says to him, a friend comes to midnight, and he says, which of you have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on the journey, and I have nothing set before him. What's the first thing that you notice here? The friend has what? Nothing. He has no what? Bread. And what does bread represent in God's word? He hasn't got the word of God. And what else does it represent? Jesus is the bread of life. They haven't got anything. And he says, he will answer him from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. And I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give him because of his friend, because he is his friend, yet because of what? Jesus is saying we need to persist and he will rise and give him as many as he needs. What are we to pray for? We pray for the word of God. We're to pray for Jesus to share Jesus with others. That's what Jesus is saying. You need the word of God. You need me to share with others. And then Jesus says, links prayer with asking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit to share bread with our friends. He says, keep asking, seeking, knocking. And in verse 9, he says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. How many, count how many times he says it. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who what? Ask shall receive. And he who seeks shall find. And he who what? Knocks will be opened. And if a, sin, a son what? Ask for bread from any father among you. Will he give him a stone? Or will he give him a, if asked for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or he asked for an egg, will he give him a scorpion instead of an egg? I've never given my son a scorpion or a, or a snake. Or a, I've given plenty of other things, but I've never given him those things. And I've given him good gifts. You ask my wife, I probably give him too many good gifts. But he goes on and says, if you then being evil... He's talking to us. Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much will your heavenly Father give what? The Holy Spirit to those who ask. Do we just ask once and that's it? You know, at your baptism, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit and that's it for the rest of my life. That's all I need. No. He says, keep on asking. Did you know the term the baptism of the Holy Spirit is used about seven times in the New Testament? Do you know that Ellen White uses it in the Spirit of Prophecy over a hundred times and she also uses the baptism of the Holy Ghost 27 times? Did you know that? In the Spirit of Prophecy, over a hundred times she says, the church, we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, when I first read that, I thought, wow, it sounds almost Pentecostal. Maybe she was Pentecostal, but in the right way, in the right way. And so the works of the Holy Spirit... Is two works of the Holy Spirit. The first work of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin and lead us to Jesus for forgiveness of sin. It's called pardon or justification. And we, do we need pardon? Yes. And we need to be justified. We need to be justified for Christ to dwell in us. And that's the first work of the Holy Spirit, to convict us of sin and lead us to Jesus. 
You know, we don't hear much about repentance these days, not enough about repent, do we? I mean, the day of Pentecost, Peter said, repent. You don't hear many sermons anymore about repenting. But this is where it all starts. On the day of Pentecost, they started with the cross. They started with repentance. And the second work of the Holy Spirit is as we behold Jesus, the Holy Spirit will transform us into the image of Jesus from what? From glory to glory. What is God's glory? His character. Moses Moses says, God, show me your glory. And what does God do? He says, I'll show you my glory. I am merciful. I'm gracious. I'm good. And I'll proclaim my name before you. So it sounds like his glory is his character and his name. Interesting, isn't it? In Revelation chapter 14, it says, God's last day people will have the Father's what on their forehead? The Father's name, his character. And so as we behold Jesus, as you spend time with Jesus, and how do we tend to spend time with Jesus? How do you spend time with your wife or your friend or your mom and dad? What do you have to do? Spend what? Time. As we spend time with Jesus in prayer, as we spend time with Jesus in his word, and as we spend time with Jesus witnessing, sharing Jesus, as we do this, we are transformed by the Holy Spirit. If we ask, the thing is, are we asking for the Holy Spirit or are we trying to do things in our own strength because we have money, we have resources? You know, I go to other cultures and other countries and they don't have any money, yet they are taking the, they have no money. Most of the countries I've been in like Africa and other countries in our islands, they are doing, you know, look at Papua New Guinea, 300,000 they have members there. 300,000 members, and they have plans to try and take that message to three or four million people. What are they praying for? What are they asking for? They're just asking for the Holy Spirit. That's all they have. The early church had no money, resources, no internet, no television. They had no resources, they had, but they had one thing that we need. They had the Holy Spirit. And if we want to finish the works, brothers and sisters, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the early reign of the Holy Spirit in preparation for the latter reign of the Holy Spirit. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says what? As we behold Jesus in a mirror of the glory of God, we are transformed in the same image from what? From glory to glory to glory. It's a process. Sanctification is a work of a lifetime. It's a process becoming more in the image of Jesus. And how do we become like Jesus? You know, you can try and copy and be like Jesus, but you cannot be like Jesus by copying him. The only way you can be like Jesus is if Jesus lives in you. Paul said, it's not I that live, but Christ that lives in me. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. I am crucified with Christ. That was how Paul lived. And we need to, just as the Spirit of the Lord. We see the works of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life himself, don't we? In Luke chapter 135, he was born of the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 2, he was led by the Spirit in childhood and manhood. Luke chapter 3, he was led by the Holy Spirit to be baptized in water, and he was baptized with the Holy Spirit himself. In answer to prayer, he prayed for it. And this weekend, we're going to be praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We're going to spend a lot more time in prayer this weekend. 
And it says also in Luke chapter 4, he was filled with the Spirit. And Jesus was led by the Spirit out into the desert to have victory over the devil on our behalf. And when he came back from the desert, it says he ministered in the power of the Spirit. His first sermon in the synagogue when he opened the book of Isaiah was, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And one of the things he was to do was to heal the brokenhearted. There are many brokenhearted people who have left the church because they've been hurt. And he said we've come, he wants to heal the brokenhearted. That's why we need reconciliation. And reconciliation only comes through forgiveness. And we have to do our part as well. So is the baptism of the Holy Spirit a one-time experience? Is it a one-time experience? Well, let's look at what Ellen White said in Christ's Object Lessons about Jesus receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. She says in Christ's Object Lessons, page 139, that daily he received a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. How often did Jesus receive a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit? Daily. In the early hours of the new day, the Lord awakened him from his slumbers. When you start praying for the Holy Spirit daily, the Lord will wake you up early. And you know what? If you don't like getting up early, just ask him to wake you up early. And he will. But you have to ask. And it says he was wakened and his soul and his lips were anointed with what? With grace that he might keep it to himself. Is that what it says? No. He was anointed with grace that he might impart to others. So the whole thing is Jesus prayed, Father, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Anoint my lips with your grace that I might impart with others. Every day, that's what he did. He went and prayed for the grace to impart to others. Now let me ask you a question. If Jesus needed a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit, how much do we need it? I mean, Jesus, this is the Messiah, our Lord. This is God in the flesh. Pray daily for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How much more do we need it? Are you praying daily for the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Nine years, I, was, I wasn't raised in a seven-day Venice. As uh, Lindy was sharing, uh, in answer to prayer, in desperation... God uh, led me to Bondi Beach and someone gave me a book on the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. And it was the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation, all the prophecies concerning Jesus, that convicted me that there is a God. It was like the proof I needed. You know, I'd studied with so many religions and different types, but when I read the prophecies, I said, wow, you really are God. You know, Isaiah chapter 46 says that I, I am God. I can declare what? The beginning to the end. And when I read all the prophecies, I was convinced. And then I joined the Seventh-day Adventist church. And then I sat in the pews for 12 years. And for 12 years, as far as I'm concerned, I never led one person to Jesus. But I thought I was okay. I was in the remnant church. You know, I was part of the church to take the three angels' messages of the world. And I sat on the benches. Oh, sometimes I took a Sabbath school lesson and Maybe sometimes I paid tithe and sometimes I didn't, depending on... You know what I was? I was a carnal Christian. I was a lukewarm Christian. I wasn't baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then nine years ago, someone invited me to a revival weekend and I went and I met uh, Dennis Smith and he showed me the Bible verses I'm sharing you with tonight. And he says, what we need is the Holy Spirit. And so I started praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, repenting. And praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit every single day for the last nine years. And from that moment, my life has never been the same. 
the Lord has taken me all over the world preaching and teaching. And you know what? It's not me. Some of you know me before as 12 years at Venice. This is not me. This is Christ in me. And when we all have Christ in us, when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, we will finish the work. The Lord will pray out, pour out the latter rain of the Holy Spirit and we will give the three angels message and power and we will go home. Or we can wait another 40 years in unbelief. And Paul also says, he says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying, using the Greek verb as continuous action, what he's saying is, you know, in the morning, be filled with the Spirit. During the day, keep on being filled with the Spirit. Keep on being filled with the Spirit because we're like leaky vessels. We need to be keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, when you look at the early church, the early church in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, had the apostles been baptized in water before the day of Pentecost? They had, hadn't they? They were baptized in the Jordan. They were baptized in the Jordan. And even before Pentecost, in John chapter 20, I believe it is, Jesus, before he even went to heaven and poured out the day of Pentecost, breathed on them the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus. They already received the Holy Spirit then. But there was what? There was more. And on the day of Pentecost, so they received the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus. And then on the day of Pentecost, they received power to witness. We need the presence of Jesus for transformation. And we need the Pentecost power of the Holy Spirit to witness. And so that was after water baptism. In Acts chapter 8, verses 12 to 14, Philip goes down to Samaria. Philip, by the way, was a deacon. I just want to put that out there. Philip wasn't a pastor. He wasn't even an elder. He was a deacon, yet he was an evangelist. All right? He was an evangelist. He just didn't wait on tables and take up the offering and bring out the, uh, the bread and the wine every Sabbath. He was an evangelist. And he goes down to Samaria and he is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it says that Samaria, many people were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So people were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ in water. Then the disciples heard about this. They come down to Samaria and Peter and John come down. And it says they laid hands on them because none of them yet had received the Holy Spirit. They'd only been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Water baptism. And they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 9, Paul on the road to Damascus was converted. He believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Paul knew why he was persecuting uh, Christians, didn't he? He knew why he was persecuting. They were saying that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So Paul is out persecuting Christians for them, what they were teaching. And then on the road to Damascus, he's blinded and he sees Jesus. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you first? He says, I am Jesus. And what does he say? What do you want me to do? And then a few days later, Ananias comes down, lays hands on him, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, it says in Acts chapter 9. He was baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then he got up and was baptized in water. In Acts chapter 19, Paul goes to Ephesus, and they were out baptizing people, and they haven't even heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think they were seven-day Adventists. And they hadn't even heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, lays hands on them, and they're baptized with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 10, Peter goes down to the Gentiles, goes to the Gentiles after he has a vision. And God is continually breaking down barrier after barrier with the Samaritans, with the, with the Gentiles. 
And he goes down there and he starts preaching to them the gospel and all of a sudden they're filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and after that he baptized them in water. What is the point I'm trying to make? Just be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Whether it's before, at your baptism or after baptism, we need a daily baptism of the Holy Spirit, of Christ in us, the hope of glory. You know, Satan has done a number on the seven-day Adventist church. You know, every, for every true truth, there's what? A counterfeit. And Satan has a counterfeit baptism of the Holy Spirit as well. You know, does Satan want the latter rain of the Holy Spirit to fall on, his people, on God's people? No. What happens when the latter rain falls? It says in Revelation 18.1, we give the three angels' messages out with power. The glory, God's glory lights up the earth. His character through his people lights up the earth. He doesn't want God's people to receive the latter rain. So I can imagine him having a meeting. So how do we stop that? How do we stop them receiving the latter rain? And I can hear him saying this, don't let them receive the early rain of the Holy Spirit. Let's have a counterfeit baptism of the Holy Spirit that focuses on the gifts of the Holy Spirit because I can counterfeit the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I can counterfeit prophecy. I can counterfeit the teachings in God's word. I can counterfeit tongues and languages. I can counterfeit miracles. He can counterfeit the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but I can't counterfeit the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So we'll have a counterfeit, and then God's people will be afraid of the Holy Spirit. They'll be afraid of the Holy Spirit because, hey, the spirit of prophecy says there'll be a counterfeit. And so they'll be so afraid of the counterfeit, they won't understand and receive the true baptism of the Holy Spirit. And unless we grow in the early rain, we won't receive the latter rain. It's when the plant grows just before the harvest, the latter rain comes in preparation for the harvest, which is the second coming of Jesus. So Satan has done a counterfeit. But the true baptism of the Holy Spirit is that we focus on Christ in us, the hope of glory, and having the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness. Did you know that righteousness is a fruit of the Spirit? In Ephesians chapter 5, 9, it says righteousness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So righteous by faith can be received through the Holy Spirit. Christ imparted righteousness through the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing, though. We can talk about this, but what do we need to do first? What did the disciples do before the day of Pentecost? They prayed. They prepared. When what preparation did they do to receive the early rain baptism in the Holy Spirit? I love this um, quote from Ellen White in Testimonies to Ministers and Gospel Workers, page 507. And I really want you to just take this in. She says, The heart must be emptied of every defilement and cleansed for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Remember I was talking about that before? Through repentance, through the blood of Jesus, what? We are cleansed for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's like the cleansing of the sanctuary, isn't it? Who's the temple in the New Testament? We are. And so the temple needs to be cleansed for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus. It was by confession and forsaking of sin by earnest prayer and consecration of themselves to God, that the early disciples, what? Prepared for the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So what were they doing in that 10 days? Searching their hearts. What else were they doing? Pastor Lodo, what were they doing? Reconciliation. 
before Pentecost, they were walking down the road. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Who's going to be the senior pastor? Who's going to be the elder? Who's going to be the deacon? Who's going to be the greatest, you know? That was what they were talking about. No, they were repenting. They were forgiving one another. They were reconciling each other. And I've seen it in churches when I've been around the world. When churches come together and forgive one another and reconcile each other, the Holy Spirit is poured out. And we, this weekend, and especially tonight, we want to start off with repentance. You want the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then it starts with forsaking of sin, earnest prayer and consecration of themselves to God. Do we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit for transformation? Do we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit for transformation? We do. Listen to what this Ellen White says in Testimonies, Volume 6, page 86. She says, Oppress upon all the necessity of the baptism of the Holy Spirit for the sanctification of the church. So they'll be living, growing, fruit-bearing trees for the Lord's planting. You know, I came across some youth just recently in our conference. These are young people between the ages of 16 and 30. And uh, I'm not going to mention their church, but it's a church in our conference. And these young people gave up their holidays this year and went with about another 20 or 30 people. There's about six of them in this church. And they went down and they went to Adelaide and Elizabeth and they gave out 10,000 books, videos, and went door knocking, literary evangelists. This is young people between 16 and 30 giving 10,000 books out. Steps to Christ, Great Controversy, giving DVDs out. They got 55 Bible studies for the church just in a few weeks. A few young people. Imagine if our youth, our army of youth were trained and equipped and not just a few of them went out, but all of them went out. How soon the second coming of Jesus would come. That's revival, brothers and sisters. That's true revival. True revival will, will work out to witnessing. It always leads to witnessing. And these young people gave out 10,000 uh, books and videos. Bible studies were set up. Health ministry was set up. It was really awesome when I heard their stories. And I read all their testimonies. Just incredible young people. Incredible young people. So we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit for sanctification, to become like Jesus, to bear fruit. Do we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to give the everlasting gospel, the three angels' message to the world? Yeah. Listen to what Ellen White said in February 18, 1890. She says, what we need is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Without this, we are no more fitted to go to the world than were the disciples after the crucifixion of their Lord. Do you get that? They were no more fitted than their day to go out to the world with the gospel until they are baptized with the Holy Spirit. And we are no more fitted to go out the world until we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. But what will prepare us for the final crisis? Brothers and sisters, there is a final crisis coming. You probably read about it in the book of Revelation. You probably read about it in the great controversy. You've read it. And we know what's coming. And we can see already signs in the world that's happening, can't we? We can see that there's ecumenism coming. The religions are starting to join together to become one. We can see the earthquakes. and fl- Just another, today, there's another earthquake in Papua New Guinea, a big one last week. There's always floods and droughts. And you've seen even a whole city was destroyed in America. No, just was it last year. 
there's signs happening. So we know that God is releasing the winds in Revelation chapter 7. But he's also holding it back. What is he holding it back? He's waiting for his people to be sealed. He's waiting for God's character to be sealed on their forehead. He's waiting for God's people, for the law to be written on their minds and heart, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Ellen White says. That Do you want to be prepared for the final trouble, the final crisis and the time of trouble? Listen to what she says. She says that nothing but the baptism of the Holy Spirit can bring up the church to its right position and prepare the people of God for the fast approaching conflict. Nothing. This is what we need, church. And I'm going to leave you with this. In the early church, they had two ambitions. Two ambitions only. And this is what we need. And what was the only ambition of the early believers? This is in Christ's Object Lessons, page 120. Ellen White says these words. She says, The only ambition of the believers was to reveal the likeness of Christ's character. So number one, the only ambition was to reveal the likeness of Christ's character. How do we do that? Christ in you is the only hope of revealing Christ's character. And secondly, to labor for the enlargement of his kingdom. That's it. That's it, nothing else. To reveal Christ's character and to build up his kingdom. The multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. They were in one accord. They were reconciled to each other. With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Now here's the good news. She goes on to say that these scenes are to be repeated, but with even greater power. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was the former rain, but the latter rain will be more abundant. Do you want to be part of the latter rain? Do you want to be part of the latter rain? I want to be part of the latter rain, but I need to repent. I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need to repent. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when we do, the Lord will pour out the latter rain of the Holy Spirit. Tonight, I want you to pray for souls. Last year, we had a prayer bag. We had a prayer bag, and there's thousands of names in there. I was in the Adelaide Conference two weeks ago, and there was a 1,000 people that came to the Congress. And what we decided to do, the president and the leaders, we decided to pray for 10 people each. And we wrote 10 names each that have left the church or don't know Jesus. And we all put them in a box. And every day, those 1,000 people have committed to pray for those 10,000 people. Because it is through prayer that reaches people's hearts. It's the Holy Spirit's work to reach them. And then he uses us to reconcile them to the Father, just as Elijah reconciled Israel to the Heavenly Father, just as John the Baptist reconciled physical Israel to the Heavenly Father, just as we, as the last day Elijah message, will reconcile spiritual Israel back to our Heavenly Father. And I want to leave you with this. In the book Evangelism, page 525, It's through much prayer that you must labor for souls. For this is the only method which you can reach hearts. It's not your work, but the work of Christ who is by your side that impresses hearts. And tonight, we want to prepare. And in Testimony of Ministers and Gospel Workers, page 507, 
it says the heart must be emptied of every defilement. So tonight we're going to spend some time in small groups and we're going to spend time in repentance tonight in preparation for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, forgive us. Forgive us, Father, for trying to do things in our own strength, by our own knowledge and our own intelligence. Lord, like Jesus said, we have no bread. We have nothing. Father, we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're asking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But Father, we need to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. We need to repent of our sins, Father. And tonight, we ask you, convict us of our sins. Search our hearts, O Lord. Prepare us for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 61 4973 3456 Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au That is radio at the number 3abn Australia, all one word, our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc. PO Box 752 Morissette, New South Wales 2264 Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Stay with us here on 3ABN Australia Radio. Coming up next, we have Carly Fletcher with Eternity Together. Because in 
Time for Balanced Living with Vicki Griffin. Superfoods that fight cancer. Cancer. The fairy word strikes fear, and with good reason. Each year, nearly 14 million people worldwide are diagnosed with cancer, and 7.5 million die from the disease. However, evidence shows that 30 to 40% of those deaths are preventable, and one-third can actually be cured through early diagnosis and treatment. Oh, we look for a magic bullet, a single cause and cure, but in vain. Cancer is not just one disease. It's a group of more than 100 diseases. There are many factors, genetic, environmental, lifestyle, and some unknown. The search for a cure is a multi-billion dollar industry ranging from conventional to exotic. An important weapon is found in the produce department of your grocery store. It's called nature's Department of Defense. Foods high in saturated fat and low in plant fiber increase the risk of numerous types of cancer as well as obesity. Fight back. Eat plenty of fresh fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and beans to reduce your risk of developing cancer and to help you fight a better battle if cancer does occur. Research published by the American Institute for Cancer Research and others show several categories of nutrients and foods that have been shown to provide powerful benefits in preventing and fighting certain cancers. 
according to the AICR, at least two-thirds of your plate should contain colorful, cancer-fighting vegetables, fruits, whole grains, and or beans. AICR has an online nutrition guide. Here are just a few cancer-fighting superheroes featured in their recent report, Foods That Fight Cancer. Beans. This includes all bean varieties, pinto, black, chickpeas, lima, soybeans, peas, green peas, split peas, and lentils. These high-fiber winners contain saponins, protease inhibitors, and phytic acid. Also known as phytochemicals, they protect cells from genetic damage that can lead to cancer. Protease inhibitors slow the division of cancer cells, and phytic acid slows tumor progression. The soluble fiber in beans helps regulate insulin and blood sugar. Berries and grapes. Berries are rich in fiber and vitamin C. They also contain the phytochemical elagic acid, especially strawberries and raspberries. Elagic acid has been shown to have protective benefits against cancers of the skin, bladder, lung, and esophagus in laboratory studies. Its antioxidant properties can deactivate certain cancer-causing agents and slow cancer cell growth. Blueberries contain compounds that reduce DNA damage. Red grapes, and to a lesser extent grape juice, contain resveratrol, a compound that has been shown to slow cancer cell growth and inhibit tumor formation found in lymph, liver, stomach, skin, and breast cells. Cruciferous vegetables. These include broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, bok choy, and kale. They contain numerous compounds called phenols that activate enzyme systems that detoxify cells, diffuse cell damage, and inhibit tumor growth. Human studies link high intake of these vegetables with lower risk for lung, stomach, colorectal, prostate, and bladder cancer. Dark leafy greens. Spinach, kale, romaine, and leaf lettuce, mustard and collard greens, and Swiss chard pack a punch when it comes to fiber, folate, minerals, and carotenoids such as lutein and zeaxanthin. Carotenoids not only help prevent cancer via antioxidant production, but they also inhibit the growth of certain types of breast and skin cancer cells. They are also associated with lower lung and stomach cancer incidence. Folate is linked to lower colorectal and ovarian cancer risk. Try lightly steamed greens with a drizzle of olive oil, lemon, and salt for a tasty treat. Tomatoes. Tomatoes form part of a tasty team of red foods that contain lycopene, a powerful carotenoid that fights cancer. Other members of this flashy family include red or pink fruits such as watermelon, papaya, pink guava, and pink grapefruit. Lycopene in tomatoes shows inhibitory effects on breast, lung, and endometrial cancer cells. Whole grains. Whole wheat products, brown rice, whole grain oats, corn, and kasha are high in fiber and nutrition, but low in calories. They contain varying amounts of antioxidants, phenols, lignans, phytoestrogens, and saponins, which decrease cancer risk in general.
Data from 40 different studies showed a 34% lower risk of cancer overall in those who have a generous intake of whole grains compared to those who eat very little whole grains. Positive lifestyle steps can help prevent cancer. Fill your cart with a wide variety of fruits and vegetables, nature's cancer fighters. They're colorful, tasty, and inexpensive. Other strategies. Foods high in saturated fat and low in fiber, obesity, and sedentary habits are all linked to increased cancer risk and lower survival rates when cancer does occur. Fight back. Healthy lifestyle habits fight cancer. And that not only includes healthful foods, but daily exercise, sunshine, maintaining a healthy weight, stress management, social support, adequate rest, and leaving alcohol and tobacco alone. We live in a world of trouble and sin where bad things happen that we don't understand. But God has given us principles that promote health, and He invites us to come to Him with our trials and fears. He promises strength and comfort when sickness occurs. The Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. You will sustain him on his sickbed. Psalm 41, 3. Wisdom and guidance for each day. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with mine eye. Psalm 32, 8. Hope and healing for the future. For the believer, the promise of the resurrection and earth made new guarantee healing beyond the uncertainties we face here. And no inhabitant will say, I am sick. The people who dwell there will be forgiven their iniquity. Isaiah 33, 24. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Revelation 21, 4. God invites you to put your trust in Him for physical, mental, and spiritual well-being, knowing that eternal life with no more pain and suffering is sure to come. You've been listening to Balanced Living, presented by Vicki Griffin. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.